very likely about a month ago, and then a month prior to that, many of you, as did my family, gathered together in a family meal. You sat down around a table, and you ate the meal, and for many, there was an empty seat. Perhaps it was a mother, or a father, or a brother, or a sister, maybe even a child. And as you looked at that empty seat, there was some sadness there because of who you've lost. It's also possible that some may have been deployed in military terms and they couldn't be there and you look at their seat, you miss them, you wish that they were there. It's also possible that somebody was angry, somebody was not happy. Either they didn't feel welcome or they didn't want to be there and you look and again you see the seat and you see that it's empty. For just a few minutes, I'd like for you to consider with me 1 Samuel chapter 20. I'm going to try to do a a little bit of background so you can appreciate what is going on here. David had, or excuse me, Saul had been anointed the king over God's people. And Saul had started out with great promise and great capability. However, Saul failed. And God chose another man by the name of David to be the king over his people. Saul was still reigning as king, but David had been chosen. There's a lot of animosity that developed. Saul developed a hatred for David and ended up wanting to kill him. On more than one occasion, Saul would hurl his javelin, his spear, toward David with a desire to kill him and pin him against the wall. However, Jonathan developed a very close friendship with David. Jonathan and David were just the best of friends. They enjoyed one another's company, and that in itself produced a problem for Saul. David was afraid to show up at Saul's table. It's the new moon, it's the first of the month. There's a feast for more than one day and there's an empty seat. David is not in his seat. For just a few minutes, let's look at two or three of these verses and see the context, if you will. As Brother David just read for us, verse 18, Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty." Verses 24 and 25. Then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat in his seat, and at other times on a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Leave it a little further, verse 27, and it happened on the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why is the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? Oh, you start seeing a picture develop. David is not there, his seat is empty, and it's obvious to everyone, where is David, what is David doing? 
David is afraid to be there. I'm not going to preach completely about the empty seat, but I do want to, at the beginning, by way of introduction, to make a few observations about an empty seat. The first one being that people will not be present at places where they're not wanted or needed. You see, in the Lord's church, we want the church to grow. We want people to come. We want people to feel welcome. But there's times when you visit congregations, there's a cold shoulder. There's sometimes people make you feel as if you are intruding into their place. At other times, you meet some of the most kind and generous and wonderful people. You see, too many are not welcoming and uh, inviting as they ought. When someone comes in, we ought to let them know, here's an empty place. We love you being in this place. We love you and we want you to come. The second observation, Jonathan sought to be a healer between Saul and David. As Job observed in Job 9 and verse 33, he said, Nor is there a mediator between us, who may lay his hand on us both. Lord, someone who loves you on this side and someone loves the person on that side. Jonathan loved his father David, our father Saul, and Jonathan loved his friend David, was a perfect mediator. And Jonathan tried to do that. Jonathan tried to talk to Saul and persuade Saul David was good. He tried to talk to David and persuade David you can be able to overcome this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He said, I exhort you, Odia, and I exhort Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel. We ought to be peacemakers, mediators, if we can, to help people. A third observation is... David was missed because he was not in his proper place. You know, I look around the auditorium and I miss people. I miss some folks that were here last year, but they've passed on. And I realize many of those have gone on to their reward. But there's others I look out over the audience and I used to see their faces and they're not there. They're missed. You see, the reason why some are missing in, from their place is because they've chosen not to assemble. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Some people have made a habit of it, and we miss them. You know, the elders call and check on folks. Preachers do. Members do. You look around and you see someone missing. Call them. Let them you know that you're missing them and you'd love to have them and see them back worshiping with us again. But now let's talk about 1 Samuel chapter 20. You see, there's a lot of ideas here with this word empty. 
And I want to look at Saul and three empty things that were a part of him. There was an empty head, there was an empty heart, and empty hands. You know, the more you read this chapter and the more you read about Saul, you realize how empty Saul really was. As you begin with an empty head, that means that there's nothing upstairs. A little over 20 years ago, when I made the first trip to the Bible land, as Tim and I were walking into the area going toward the Temple Mount area, there was a man standing there playing a harp, dressed up in costume of years ago, and I thought perhaps maybe a street actor or something. Our tour guide said no, said he's one of the misfortunes of our society, said he has no oil in his brain. I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. He said there's nothing upstairs. Nothing upstairs. And you think about Saul, and you think about the way he looked at David. David never intended any harm to come to Saul. But Saul wasn't too dumb to see that. I want you to listen to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 4 through 7. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. And then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. Do you see? Jonathan said, I'm sure he said something like, Dad, don't you look and see that David has done you no harm. He's only done you good. And Saul has to acknowledge it here, but later on he's going to try to kill him again. You get to chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. David had fled to Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, what have I done and what is my iniquity and what is the sin before your father that he seeks my life? David is saying, I've not done wrong to Saul. Why does he hate me so? Why does he want to kill me? The truth is today many people are not rational either. They build up things in their mind and they, they think in a way that's not plain and clear. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah chapter 8, as well as the book of Jeremiah chapter 8, you have a picture being asked about the decisions a person would make in the spiritual realm. How do I know what God wants me to do? How should we conduct ourselves as the people of God? It would be very easy for a person to say, well, let's go and find this self-help book and see if they know how to do it better. Or maybe let's go over here and do some uh, marketing studies and see how people will respond. Oh, no, no, no. You see, the writings of man or the investigations of man are worth nothing. 
Isaiah 8 and verse 20 says, To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Or Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 9, The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? There's so many people when it comes to spiritual things today are going to the wrong sources. They're being empty-headed, just like with Saul. Paul would put it very simply in Romans 1 and verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. But you have to ask the question, why are people ignorant? Why do they have empty heads? Well, if you're a little child, you expect that. Some have not yet been taught. You don't expect a little child to know everything and understand everything. Paul, when he wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 2 says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food for you were not able to receive it. When you're a child, you're certainly not able to eat very strong meat. When you're spiritually young, there's a lot you don't know. However, as the Hebrew writer puts it in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 He says, of whom I have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and become such as need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk, only of milk, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. There's some people who still possess empty heads because they've not grown, they've not matured. As we will observe tonight in our lesson this evening on a cake not turned, in Hosea 4 verse 6 he says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Notice there, it wasn't as if they couldn't know. They chose not to know, as do many people today. The solution to empty heads is the gaining of truth. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8 The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now let's talk about empty hearts. Saul did not love David. He was jealous of him. There was no... Fondness for David, though David was his son-in-law. There was no appreciation for David, though David had fought for Israel when he slew Goliath the king. I want you to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. You listen to verses 7 and 8. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David... His ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? 
Saul looked at David and he was angry because Saul was not getting the press, the reputation, the appreciation, the honor, the glory that David was getting. You see, for him, it was like, I'm selfish. I want this glory. I want this honor for myself. I don't want David to have it. To appreciate really how bad it got. When you go to chapter 20 and you look at verses 30 through verse 34, you have Saul and Jonathan. And now Saul is trying to explain, or Jonathan's trying to explain to Saul why David is not there. And he's trying to explain that David had a a rational reason to be afraid of Saul. Saul looks at him and says, it says his anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you are a perverse son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom Now therefore sin and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan answered his Saul, his father, and said, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in a fierce anger, And ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Well, when you read that, don't you see how angry Saul is? Because Jonathan has been willing to help David not be killed. Saul is so angry now, he's willing to throw a spear at Jonathan, his son, to kill him. That tells you that Saul's an incredibly angry man with an empty heart. Only a heart devoid of love would seek to murder another person. And yet, when you start going to the Bible, you find out there are frequently people who have anger. You can see it in the first sons, Cain and Abel. Cain hated his brother. You can see it in Genesis 27-41. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, and I will kill my brother Jacob. Anger. There's no joy in the heart. No love in the heart. Leviticus 19.17 tells us, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. And not bear sin because of him. We have no place for that kind of hatred in our heart. I always like reading the book of 2 Kings. And you read about the the way kings interacted with one another. You got to chapter 20. It says, Now when he departed from there, he met Jonadab, Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, and coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said, Is your heart right? Is my heart is right toward your heart. 
In other words, do you have the same attitude, the same love toward me that I have toward you? And that's a question that we all need to ask. Do we have love in our heart or hatred in our heart? Saul came with an empty heart. John referenced this in 1 John 3, 12 and verse 15. And not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Dropping down, John goes on to say, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We live in a world of empty hearts. Hatred exists in every facet of our lives. It exists in our political realm. It exists in our social realm. And even exists in families as well. Solomon, as he looks at life and he concludes in chapter 9 and verse 3, there's an evil that is done under the sun that one thing happens to them all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts. You look around and you see the anger that exists. People sometimes, even on the road, become so angry at the person driving next to them, front of them, behind them. They're willing to take that vehicle they're in and use it as a tool of death. But those who are God's people, their hearts are full of love and concern. Godly people, they love like they're supposed to love. Let me give you a really good illustration. David's heart troubled him when he cut the corner off of Saul's garment. If you want to read it, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. It's after our passage here in 1 Samuel 20. But let me give you a little bit of background so you understand what happened. Saul is chasing David. and David is running anywhere he can to try to get away from Saul. He flees to the area right next to the Dead Sea. It's called Engedi. There's a beautiful waterfall there, and there's a number of caves. David and his men take refuge in one of the caves near Engedi. They go very far back in the edge of the cave. The text tells us that Saul needed to attend to his needs. That's the way the English translations read. The words literally are he covered his feet, which is the euphemism for a man going to the bathroom. So he goes into this cave to use the bathroom. He's going to go by himself. His man's going to stay outside. David and his men are in the back part of the cave. While Saul is in there, the the men are looking at David. Yeah, here's our enemy. We can kill him. David won't allow him to do that. But David does go and cut the little corner off of the skirt of Saul. And you read in 1 Samuel chapter 24, 5 and 6, and it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, for the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David was the kind of man that his conscience would condemn him. His heart would condemn him. 
if he mistreated somebody. When you look at Saul, he had an empty heart. And David had a full heart. Number three, empty hands. The song we sing, Must I Go an Empty-Handed? I thought that song was really appropriate. What did Saul bring to the Lord? The answer is not much. For just a few minutes, I want to sort of introduce Saul to you again. Let's go back to chapter 13. When you get to 1 Samuel 13, Samuel has just anointed Saul as king. Saul is supposed to go and wait on Samuel to arrive to offer a sacrifice. There's an appointed day, there's an appointed time. Samuel doesn't arrive when Saul thinks he should. So Saul offers the sacrifice himself. That was wrong. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. He had no right to do that. He was worried about the men scattering from him. And I want you to notice when Samuel arrives, he said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people. But you have not kept the word of the Lord which he commanded you. You mean Saul now is given this one first task and he failed? He did. Saul has another opportunity. When you come to 1 Samuel 15, God told Saul to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Saul, you've got to go and I want you to kill everything that breathes. I want you to destroy everything that is there. Utter, complete destruction. You know what Saul does. When he arrives, he sees there's a lot of good things. There's the oxen, there's the physical treasures, and there's King Agag. What does Saul do? He brings them back. You go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, and here's the way Samuel responds to him this time. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Now listen carefully to the last part of verse 19. Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul was saying, look what I brought, look what I brought, Lord. He said, you didn't bring me anything. What was there was mine. And you took it. The one thing you could have brought me was obedience. And you didn't bring it. 
Those who serve God must not come empty-handed. When you read the accounts in the book of Exodus, in the book of Deuteronomy, I'm just going to read for the sake of time the one in Deuteronomy, chapter 16, verse 16. Three times of year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. When you come to worship God, you bring something with you. You don't appear empty-handed. Saul was empty-handed. Empty hands come from those with little respect or appreciation. The truth is, Saul didn't respect God, nor did he respect David either. Let me give you a contrast, if you will. Do you remember when you get to 2 Samuel chapter 24, David has numbered Israel, and God has sent a plague, and David now needs to offer a sacrifice. And what he's going to do, he's going to go and offer a sacrifice at a threshing floor of a man by the name of Aruna. And Aruna realizes that this is David, and David needs to offer this sacrifice, so Aruna's willing to even give him the threshing floor and the sacrifice. And here's the way David responds. The king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, with that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David said, I'm not going to give God something that doesn't cost me something. If there's no sacrifice in it for me. When I come, I'm not coming with somebody else's offering. I'm not coming empty handed. I'm coming with something that I have to give. Contrast that with Malachi chapter 1. And you could read the whole chapter. I'm just going to draw attention to verses 12 through 14. These priests, he said, You say the table of the Lord is defiled, its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, Oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring, now listen carefully, the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? God is saying, you look, at what are you bringing me? You're bringing me scraps. You're bringing me what you took from somebody else, which by the way is what Saul did in 1 Samuel 15. God said, your hands are empty and I won't accept these things from you. Those who respect God usually have trouble respecting their fellow man as well. What do you see? You see an empty head. You see an empty heart. And you see empty heads. Now as I try to conclude this, I can ask several questions. Has your seat been empty? Let's be even more direct. Have you been forsaking the assembling of yourselves together with the people of God? 
I'm not talking about people who are sick. I'm not talking about people who are incapable of... I'm talking about, have you purposely decided on your own, I'm not going to go and worship God. We've missed you. But more importantly, God missed you. He sees your seat. Is your head full of knowledge? Your heart full of love? Your hands full of sacrifice? That says a lot about whether or not you will be here, whether or not your seat will be empty. God seeks His children to come to Him and there's always room for more. You remember John chapter 14 verse 1 Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. There is place, there is room for you. How important it is for us to be faithful to our God. This morning, if you need to become a child of God... You can do so by repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, and being baptized for the remission of your sins. We'll be glad to assist you in that this morning. And if you're one of God's children, you look and you say, that lesson hit me. Maybe it's time to come back home and to say to God, I'm sorry I've been missing. I'm ready now to be faithful and true and loyal. We're going to sing just as I am. And if you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing?